Hello and welcome to the second episode of Downstream, a new spiritual podcast series. My name is John Stinson. In this first series, I'm interviewing Taz Thornton, a well-respected shamanic practitioner. In the first episode, Taz described her journey to shamanism and how she defines shamanism. In the second episode, we'll be taking a deeper look at working with spirit. This is another fascinating chat, so you're in for a treat. So without further ado, let's get on with the interview. So Taz, welcome back. Um, thank you very much indeed for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to come along once again. Uh, last time you gave us a, a fantastic overview of lots of different parts of shamanism uh, or uh, shamanic practitioning and how uh, your part in that and, and how you got there um, uh, from, uh, from your days as a journalist all the way through to, to the sort of the life, the teaching life that you do now. Um, what I'd like to do on this uh, this session was to look a bit more, de- look in a bit more detail, and, and one of the areas is to actually look at the different ways of working with spirit. So I'll just open it with a general question. And so, what are the different ways of working with spirit? Well, firstly, thank you for having me back, John. That's always a pleasure. And, and again, another massive question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't like yeah. to be too descriptive. Yeah. No, let's just let it flow. Um, well, lots of different ways. I'm just trying to trying to work out how I can how I can hone that down into an answer because, of course, for me, working with spirit is, is a way of life. They inform pretty much everything I do, um, perhaps with the exception of when I'm taking direct orders from my sat nav. Um, but even then, sometimes. Um, how do I work with spirit? Well, there's there's my journey work, which we've talked about, which is very deep spirit work, because that's when I would see it as my energy body going off and, and seeing them in their own home, as it were. Right. And you were t- I think last time you were mentioning there's the lower world, mm-hmm. the middle world, but, but they, they are names. They're, they're not, it's not a... It's not a hierarchy, no. No, it, there's, it's not, it's, it's, they're just names. It's just the way that someone who did this long, long before me decided to, to separate them out. So, yeah, there's the lower world, which is traditionally the domain of power animals and animal spirit guides. There's the upper realm, which is, which is traditionally the domain of spirit teachers, so if the power animals are, I will support you in this, I'll help you through this, I'll guide you through this, um, the spirit teacher is, this is how you do it. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the teachings that I now bring through in my workshops come from my spirit teachers. And then there's middle world work. Um, a lot of shamanic teachers tend to stray away, stay away from middle world work. Um, is, is that here? Yeah. Middle world? Basically. This is here. Right. This is it. The middle world, where we we sit now, is part of the middle world. Um, I've never fully got to the bottom of of why so many. I'd even go as far as as to say fear. Perhaps someone listening to this will will give us some answers. The closest I've got is from one of my old teachers who said, "Well, if you piss something off in the here and now, it's here with you. And if you've been to a different dimension and accidentally do something, then you're coming away from it. But for me." If we live here, if I'm going to accidentally tread on something's tail and get a swipe, I want to know about it. I want to have an awareness. I want to have, be able to walk with, with, with respect and knowledge and be aware of all that is around me. So for me, 
if we live in the middle world, it makes sense to be aware of, of the energies within it and know, at least have some some idea of how to, how to work with them in a respectful and honourable way. Mm-hmm. Um, other ways of working with spirit, well, there's dream work, which of course comes into shamanism as well. Um, I pay a lot of attention to my dreams, and with with, with this way of life, the the what I believe at least is that when, when I'm dreaming it's when your spirit can again leave your body and go exploring so that's why shamanic journeying is sometimes referred to as dreaming awake because it's the nearest um, the nearest we can create to a sleeping dream of course with sleeping dreams the ultimate is get to the point of, of lucid dreaming where you can direct your dreams Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that I start to try and train people towards there's lots of techniques for that how else do I work with spirit? Well, sometimes they'll just speak to me. I don't need to be doing a shamanic journey or or be be dreaming or be in a meditative state for spirit to speak to me. Mm-hmm. They're there all the time. Okay. And and I remember, again, from last time you were saying, there's something you were aware of your um, sensitivity mm-hmm. from an early age. Yeah. So is that something that... Is that was that, would that class as part of that, that you would hear... Um, yeah, and, I su- and is it sort of clear audience or? or? Um, it's been all through. My clear audience really kicked in big time after my after my par- my partner's father died. When I was relaying messages between the two of them, my predominant sense has always been visual, uh, followed by by kinesthetic and, and empathic. So I'd see things a lot when I was a child, um, and I I consider myself quite well very lucky in that I didn't have a family who tried to close me down or told me it was stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They would, as a child, occasionally try to calm me down if I was afraid, uh, or if I got scared by it. But they never, they never closed me down. And I think that's one of the things that that happens. Um, I don't believe I'm special in any way. I think we all have the ability to see and sense things that aren't there. But as we grow older, our common sense kicks in, and we learn to switch them off. So how often, when we hear of someone saying they saw a ghost, and then when they look back, it was gone? How often is that actually the ghost dematerialising and how often is it them switching something in their brain and they can't see it anymore? It's an off switch. Right, so is it literally they open a channel, as it were, are able to see, Mm. and then that freaks them so they shut it down? Yeah. Right, Yeah. I I, I don't think I ever saw it as a channel, but but that's exactly right. Um, They're just there. I mean, when I used to see things as a child, and, and again now, it's as solid as me sitting and talking to you now. Yeah. Sometimes they do appear as being very solid and sometimes I'm not sure if they're actually spirits or real people until I'll say to the person, can you see that person? No, what person? Ah, okay. okay. Sometimes it's more of a shade, sometimes it's a shadow, sometimes I'm seeing the almost the aura of something, the outline of something. Um, but yeah, frequently it yeah. can be very, very solid and that's always been there with me. But I don't believe they're all coming in as teachers. No, okay. So there was a situation a few years back where I ended up helping a, a an old fella move on to where he needed to be who was sitting in a coffee shop, for instance, because I had to do that quite subtly and without picking up a drum and wafting a sage about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, but they're, okay. just, they're just there. Uh, right, so you're actually then helping a spirit, as it were, rather yeah. than... Um, so how do you know if that's a teaching and not someone... I don't know, just giving advice. In, in this, like daily life, someone might give advice to you, you think, mm. yeah, well, thanks, but how, how do you know it's 
Well, even that can be a teaching, can't it? Because the teaching then is, is tuning in and thinking, is who is this person giving me advice? Are they qualified? Is it relevant to me? Or is the teaching actually to stand in my own power and say, thanks, but that's not mine? Right. And that's the same, If is it, and that would be the same as if you're receiving yeah. that from a person or from... If I Every time I see a spirit, they're not coming and telling me sometimes something. Sometimes they're just sitting with I mean, the tube is teeming with spirits. Mm-hmm. Get on, onto the underground network. Frequently, there'll be somebody sitting across the carriage that others aren't aware of. And if I'm on on the train with a couple of other kind of um, quite sensitive friends, then we're like, "Can you see? Yeah, I can. See. Yeah." Oh, and, right, okay. and we'll all see the same one. But it's it's not always about that. Sometimes it's just well, they're over there in the same way as I said before. If you're walking down the street, every person isn't there to give you a teaching. Mm-hmm. It's just observing that that they're around, and that's not necessarily just spirits of departed people. Again, it can be elementals, nature spirits, and that's that's another trench of work where. I think we could all do with having a lot more awareness of the nature spirits that are out, are around us because there's a lot of us who are just trampling through natural areas and really pissing off spirits and that's so, where you can sometimes get dis-ease setting in because they can, they can shoot a bit of negative energy your way or if, if you're trampling on their toes. Yeah, so how, how would you go about that? How would you become more aware of, 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 the, uh, of what's around you? particularly is it sort of nature spirits well yeah how would you come become more aware of that well it's it's like any muscle there it's it's like having a psychic muscle i remember the the medium donna stewart once said that i did a bit of work with her for a while she's she's excellent if if spiritualism and mediumship's your thing and she talked about exercising the psychic muscle and i'd never described it in that way that way but that's exactly right um meditation is is a key it's about training your brain to shut off about opening your heart and extending your senses because again i believe these are senses that we all have but Mm -hmm. we get used to not using them you know we all learn pythagoras theorem at school but how many of us would know how to use it now because we just decided we don't need it anymore so we stop using it and it's the same that we we come into the world with these psychic abilities for want of of a better term and we, we quickly realise that either we don't need them or that we look a bit strange and we learn to just drop them. Yeah. You know, in NLP terms, it's classic deletion. We don't need that, so we'll get rid of it. So it's about starting to work that muscle. It's about meditation, journey work. In fact, that's, that, that's quite a good point. I've, had, I've worked with quite a few people now who've said that they can't meditate, and I thus far have a 100% success rate in, in helping them to meditate by using some of the techniques I use in shamanism, by using drumming, by using rattling, by using some white noise, yeah. just something to, to get the brain out of the way, and you can do it. But I find that people get caught up on this this idea of meditation as well. They get People think they can't do it because there's this concept of them having to sit cross-legged in front of a candle and completely turn their brain off, mm-hmm. and it doesn't need to be about that. Yes, because there are there are I mean you know a billion books on meditation and the mm. different and different ways of doing it and it's seen as um, perhaps quite an Eastern philosophy. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so how do you? But but for for you, what would you class meditation as as being? Then it's yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth. What would you class? For me, meditation is any time where I'm sitting sitting quietly, where I've perhaps prepared a space, where I'm just sitting quietly with the intention of just turning the brain down, the heart up and tuning in. And it doesn't matter at first if you're only doing it for 30 seconds at a time. 
Yeah. Well, what are you tuning into? I'm tuning into nature and everything around me. There are different types of meditation I can sometimes do. Sometimes I'll sit with a candle and I'll just gaze at the flame and see what I can see in the flame and be open to teachings from the flame. Or I'll speak to spirit through the flame. Um, one of the techniques I've, I've taught quite a few people now to just teach them to get out of head mind and to learn to extend and expand their senses is to just sit and at first listen to the noises that are around them now. So I might hear a faint faint hum of, of, of the computer or I might be aware of the, the breeze blowing through the, the, the leaves of the tree just outside the room. Be aware of your, of your breathing, of my breathing. And then extend it. What can you hear outside of that? And then again and again. What's beyond that noise? What's beyond that noise? So you're almost extending your your hearing and your senses in bands and going further and further out each time. Mm -hmm. um, and I find that's a good way to get into a meditative state. That can help a lot. Um, how do you how do you know you you have reached that a, a meditative state? Well, I think that's the point. I think that's where people switch off. Uh, people get to that, and, and I've done it when I was first learning to do what I thought was meditation, which was switching off the brain, and I'd get to nothing, and then go, yeah, I've done it, I've got nothing, oh, damn it. <laughs> That's why it doesn't have to be insurmountable. Meditation is it's almost interchangeable with that wonderful modern buzzword we're all kicking about now, mindfulness. Mm -hmm. It's just about sitting quietly and having the intention of be, of extending your awareness. And it, it doesn't have to be. Okay, so that... Might that um, mindfulness that that there is a, through that you have an awareness of, let's say for example the the the, the what is it an energy the the, mm. the spirit itself of the tree for example. I think that's just part of the practice. I think it's it's that's part of the step of learning to work your psychic muscle. Yeah. Um, and then it depends what the individual is called to. So first, the, the first way is to start just training your brain to switch off and to learn to expand your heart. And meditation is an excellent way to do that. You could use there are a gazillion and one meditation CDs out there. Use those, whatever works for you. You know, put on a piece of classical music and just zone into that. Whatever, whatever helps. But that's that's not how you'd immediately start seeing people. But that's that's how you would start to train yourself to be able to be open to seeing more and then it really depends on which which area you're drawn to most some people will be drawn to shamanism some people will be drawn to spiritualist church some people might be drawn to druidism or witchcraft or wicca or, or energy healing it's that i don't think there's only one cap fits all mm. um but the the one thing that I think will help all paths is beginning to find the discipline to carve out, carve out some time just to start meditating but again don't put so much pressure on yourself that you're thinking you're trying to get to nothing straight away that's quite a misnomer that's been created and trips a lot of people up, up and stops a lot of the flow right um, you're very definite in, in how you you know that's and in about what you what you believe meditation is where where does that def, def you know that um that where does that come from nothing but personal experience nothing but finding that carving time out for quiet time and to just stop is when i start to feel more in tune and i'm definite about that being the right way for me yeah. it doesn't mean it has to be for everyone else 
Um, and and that also is backed up by, again, the amount of people who've come to me saying, I can't meditate, and being able to find a way to enable them to meditate. And in every one of those cases, what blocks people is this idea that you have to be doing the Buddha thing with the candle and be completely off in the brain yeah. area. And if you're not doing it that way, then, then they you're think not doing they can't it right. do it. Yeah. yeah. And okay. I, I think it needs. I don't think it's one size fits all again. Mm-hmm. I think it's whatever works for you, and and key is setting time aside for that. Yeah. Okay. So from meditation, you are then become. You then got an awareness with which, over time, you can uh, sense uh, the the sort of nature spirits around you, yeah. for example. Yeah. Perhaps, although I guess there's more to it, depending on what you... Depending pre- if that's your path. Depends what your predominant sense is as well, of course. So for right. me, I've always been very visual. Um, and the, the thought is, and this, the, I, I have to say, a lot of people have said this, and it's, it's, it's how it's happened for me, is your predominant sense will kick in first. And when you master, again, for, sounds like, that sounds like quite a, quite a big word to use, but when you get to the point where you're proficient in that then your other senses can start to develop on top of that. Mm-hmm. So I was always predominantly visual, and then it was sensing things. It might be smelling things or feeling things. It was it was seeing things, feeling and sensing things, and then I might get smells. And auditory was one of the last things that came to me. Yeah. Um, but when I speak auditory in these terms, I'm talking in terms of having communication with dear departed loved ones rather than... Uh, than communication through the through the dream and when people start to do journey work that's another thing that can sometimes throw them so when I'm speaking I'll very much be talking in terms of you might see or sense this because that's my predominant sense but there are some people I've been working with in in uh, shamanic practice for years and years and years where they still don't get the full cinematic experience for them it's a feeling or it's an energy or it's just a knowing or sometimes it's just a voice yeah so and, and that's fine. That's that's made, perfectly that's, fine. We not shouldn't all be looking for a cinematic no, experience, right? Absolutely not. And I think that that ties into it, to to what we were saying about meditation. People put all this pressure on themselves to be what they think they should be, yeah. Rather than just allowing and seeing what comes. Okay. Um, so that so perhaps we can delve a little bit more into journey journeying. Mm-hmm. Okay. You you mentioned about. Um, rattles and drums and so on to mm-hmm. get into a to, to to help release the head mind mm-hmm. the monkey mind I think, yeah. I think it can be called it can well. be yeah um and and it, you mentioned all about power animals and which was a lower lower world mm-hmm. type of thing so what i mean for you for example what what would you go to the lower world to to your power animal to to do it can be anything from just connect or to go with a specific question. Now, here's another thing that gets banded around a lot in, in, in shamanic circles, that you should never, ever journey to meet a spirit without a specific intention and a specific question. Um, I've found that to be a load of old tosh, quite <laughs> frankly. <laughs> I also find it's a little bit rude. It's a bit like having a, a friend and only ever ringing them up if you need something. Right, right. So, any specific question for yes, your friend. Right, yes, okay. yes so right. can you come and help me move the things out of my garage <laughs> next week? No, bugger off, you never ask how I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's a bit like that. So Yes, because one thing I've heard is that it's very much that there's a, there's a how can I serve thing as well. Yes. Um, but from what you're saying, it's, it can be just a 
a friendly connection? Well, for me, um, of course, this intention thing, the intention could be I'm going to bu- to build the connection with. So if I'm going to go meet my, my parent, I'm an animal, an animal guide, sometimes I will just journey just to reconnect mm-hmm. and to just spend some time chilling out with them and to just survey the landscape, what's changed. And, of course, you can always ask, what can what can you teach me? Right. And you always get a question, you always get an answer to that, or most of the time you do. The answer doesn't always come in plain English as we know it, There's, because they're connecting directly to the heart. And until we're used to communicating from the heart, it can take a bit of deciphering. And when you say communicating from the heart, do you mean, in a business sense, we've I remember there was someone that told, taught us that, you know, you've got like, you speak from the left column or the right column. The left column is what you think people want to hear or what you think you should say, and the right column is actually what you mean. Is, is that similar, speaking from the heart? Um, I guess. Um, so they'll communicate to me. I, I might be speaking in this language, but if I asked, <coughs> excuse me, um, if I asked simply, what can you teach me? They might show me something. I might go and fly around the lower world with them and then show me different scenes and I'll be thinking, ooh, what am I supposed to learn from that? So, um, how can I put... I, be, I, guess, I guess it's a bit like art appreciation when you, you'll see people standing in front of a, a work of art and so what is this saying to you? What is it teaching you? What can you learn from it? What's, it, what's, what's the energy of that? And it's that kind of deciphering. Um... It's difficult to give a solid example, except that the the teachings that come aren't always in words. Okay, so so, so speaking from the heart is 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 a more of a feeling mm, thing. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. So, I might speak from the heart, but they will communicate on a heart level. So it doesn't necessarily always involve words. Sometimes it can be symbolic. Sometimes it can be visual. Sometimes they will just speak. Um, but there's always something rich there. And in terms of this serving, then um, you can also always ask, what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. Which is giving something back. But then, as I say in a lot of my workshops, if your if your power animals or spirit teachers are working with and for you, if you're asking what you can do for them, it's, it's, it's usually something that will enhance your life anyway. Right, yeah, okay. If that makes sense. Yes, um, absolutely. Um... Yeah, and whether and that's that that may just be a a, a, a not off, well almost an off the cuff. What can you teach me? As opposed mm. to going with a direct question that that that's something you can something they could help with of yeah. a thing in your life at the time. Or, yeah, for example, it doesn't always have to be that. And the other thing I found is that they'll very rarely tell you specifically what to do. Right. So if it's um, should I move to this new house I've been offered. They're rarely going to say yes or no, mm-hmm. in my experience. But what might be wiser is to ask them to show you what will happen if I stay here, and then what will happen if I move there. And they can show you two yes. outcomes. Right, so you then have a choice. So, yes, they and will. Because I guess that, I don't know, my thoughts are around self-responsibility then, I guess. Yeah, it all comes back down to responsibility. Um, and again, another thing I say in, in, to, to people I'm working with, I don't really care if you want to believe that the shamanic journey, for instance, is actually you leave your spirit leaving your body and going exploring, or if you choose to believe that you're just accessing and unlocking your unconscious. Mm-hmm. If it's working for you and it's providing the guidance you need, that's all that matters. 
Yeah, I, I actually imagine for myself, and I guess for uh, several people, lots of people listening, there are lots of truths that come up that mm. seem to be, um, this, you know, the very similar in whatever you, you you know you look at, whether it be shamanism or uh, um, you know spirituality or mm. um, all the different types of facets that you, you yeah. can get. Yeah, there are. We just like to put things in boxes. Yeah. And to go back to our to our first conversation together, that's why I sometimes feel a bit uncomfortable with the term shamanism because mm. sometimes that can feel, although it's a huge huge area, sometimes that can feel like quite a box to stay into, which is why it it's my way of life, it's my spiritual um, path. It informs a lot of the the teaching I give, but it isn't everything. Mm. Okay. Um, so we've got the the. Um the power animals in in the uh, in the lower world. Yeah. Is, is it just power animals in the lower world? Well, <laughs> let's come back to this animism thing again. So this belief that everything has an energy. Everything in traditional shamanism is is of nature. So of course, if everything has an energy, you could just as well be talking to a tree or a cloud or a rock. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and so there's and, more and you, there. you could visit them, as it were, in, in the lower. Because I guess I'm starting to to build up a picture of go and see a power animal in the lower world. Mm-hmm. You've got your nature spirits in the middle world, which is the, the world we yep. live in yep. here and now, that, so you become aware of... And, of course, not just nature spirits here, anything that would be the spirit of anything that's in this existence, in this physical reality. Right. Uh, anything anything at all, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so that... But you. But I think from what I heard there, that you could journey to the lower world to see... to. to to, to pick up um, with uh, the spirit of the tree outside, for example? You could go to the lower world to pick up with the spirit of a tree that existed in the lower world. Right. If you wanted to pick up with the spirit would, of the that, tree that outside, right. that's a middle world y- yes, journey. Yes, of course, when you think, when you think about it, that, that, that's obvious. Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> so it's an easy one to get confused. <laughs> yeah. it? Okay, and then you've... Um, uh, yeah, this is part of my left brain trying to make sense of quite right brain stuff, yep. I guess. So, um, so tell me about... The the uh, the higher world then. Oh, the upper world or the higher world or whichever way you want to whatever you want to call it. And again, remembering that there's no hierarchy; it could yeah. just as well be left, left right, right centre. Yeah. Um, the upper world is where you would traditionally go to find a spirit teacher. So um, the lower world is help me to. The upper world is how to, in very simplistic terms. Um. Now, there's a theory that the higher you go, the finer the energies. Um, the finer the energy? Mm. It, I'm not sure I, don't, I understand that. What, what do you mean by finer? Um, the purer, okay. I guess. That's, purer isn't quite right. Fine is the nearest word I can I can find for it. But it, well, the, it would suggest that there's other energies tainted by something. Or no, no, it just... it's. Um, this takes it off to a slight tangent and might cause a bit, a bit of extra brain confusion, but if you're working with some nature spirits, for instance, or plant spirits, they're of a very, very high, fine energy. Um, so you would have to bring your own energy to the right level to okay. to work with that. Right. Um, so it's, it's almost like a language thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and language, right language. And a, yeah, language and a body energy. Yeah. Um, so a lot of plant spirits respond to, to, to singing and dance and quite flirty behaviour, mm-hmm. and you have to coax them. Whereas you could speak to the spirit of fire, and fire, um, there's there's a wonderful lady called Annie Spencer, I, I really recommend people connect with if, if they haven't already. 
a beautiful shamanic storyteller and she frequently sits telling stories around the fire and will, inc- will actively encourage people to tell the fire energy dirty jokes because it loves them. <laughs> but you wouldn't do that with, right, with a, necessarily with a... With a yeah. yeah. Be so, disgusted and wouldn't talk to you again. Yeah, probably yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> but again, a lot of this comes back to head, mind stuff and it's work- if it's working for you and the spirits you're connecting with, you know, go for it. These are parameters that I was taught, but of course the thing, is, the thing with parameters, once you learn to operate safely and sanely, is that sometimes you might want to just push those a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, so, so the height, so that the, uh, uh, yeah. that's looking for a, a finer energy yeah. uh, uh, for a teacher. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so the upper world can, in traditional shamanism, have man-made elements so where to get to the lower world you'd want to want to be finding something in nature that you could use as a portal so hole in the ground or a foxhole or a warren or a or a stretch of water a pool or something that you could go through for the upper world if you wanted to go up a flight of stairs or in an elevator you could right okay um and that's where you would go to meet your spirit teachers and i, I find it difficult to describe how you will know when it's your spirit teacher and it's the same when with when you meet your power animal there's just there's a sense there's a knowing there's there's this sense of meeting someone that that you've met before that there's 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 a connection to mm-hmm. um it's very much about being aware of your feelings and aware of energies and aware of your sen- your senses and that's why it's so important to turn off that that monkey mind and that monkey chatter so, for instance, when you're first learning to to journey, whether it's whether it's to meet a spirit teacher or a, or a, or a power animal helper, it's really important to try and not have preconceptions. So, I remember when I first started journeying, being overjoyed that the first animal I met as a as a spirit guide was a muntjac deer, because I knew there was no way on earth I would project meeting a muntjac. But of course, people set out wanting to meet an eagle or a lion or a yeah. tiger or something they perceive to be fierce and strong. Yeah. And an ant can teach you just as much. There was a wonderful situation when I was first, in, in one of my very, very early experiences, when I was, was first learning about shamanism. And we were learning to meet power animals. And there was a lovely lady in the group. And she kept journeying and journeying and kept coming back and saying that she couldn't see anything. And in the end, the teacher said, well... Can you see anything at all? Can you tell me what you can see? And she said, no, I can't see anything because there's this bloody seagull and he won't get out of the way. <laughs> Case yeah. in point. Didn't and it, fancy the seagull. No. looking for the bear. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's the same with spirit teachers. People set out and they want to go and meet their great-great-grandfather or they want to go and meet Sitting Bull or Joan of Arc or Jesus. And we all have these... We don't all, but it's very common to have these ideals of who you would want to meet before you go there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think of someone, Crazy Horse must be absolutely knackered with the amount of people he's, he's, he's playing spirit teacher to. Right. Um, <laughs> so we all want a Native American guide. Yeah. Why? I mean, I, I can't say much. There's a couple of my guides who present as, as looking Native American, but but not all, and I didn't set out for that. Or they've they've all, you know... Everybody's going off to meet Buddha, and why? Yeah. We're obsessed with putting labels and names to things. And it, and and it sounds like a, almost a, a pres- prestigious guide, yes. as, it were, as opposed to, uh, you know, the, someone down the down, down the yeah. road. Yeah, and names. We're obsessed with names. It's the labelling thing again. And names 
if you go back to a lot of indigenous cultures, were massively sacred. Um, in, in what? When you say sacred, do you mean you, you mean you, you wouldn't speak of them? Well, this is where medicine names come from and spirit names. Um, it's not unusual to have more than one. There's one that you can use in a spiritual setting to step into your power by using that, that name. But there might be another name that is just for use in prayer, just between you and your guides. If you look at the origins of nickname, um, that originates from. I might I might not be entirely accurate on this one, so 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 do check, listeners. Um, I believe it comes from the Inuit word eek, an eek name, um, which was a public name that was used. And of course, when when us white folk went trampling in there and misheard, they heard an eek name and got a nickname. Yeah. And, of course, the nickname was used so that you weren't using your sacred spirit name. Right, okay. And and you mentioned, too, that I think sacred spirit and medicine, is, it, is that one and the same thing? Or? It's very much semantics. Right. So um, one of the first names I was given in the dream time was, was Firechild, which is where my okay. brand right. name comes from, from, from the shamanic stuff. Yeah, Firechild Shamanism. And I kept that inside for a long time because the teacher I was working with at the time went, no, 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 you must never speak your medicine name. And it felt so wrong and I was so conflicted because my guides were saying, use it, use it, you're not honouring us, you're not using the name. And I had this human teacher saying, don't ever use it. And it was only when I moved on to another teacher who asked about that and I asked about that and he said, well, that's obviously the one you meant to use, that's the, the name you can use to to introduce yourself in spiritual work so would you like to reintroduce yourself and something really shifted right okay and then i've had other names since so there's another name i use i use in circle now um which is about stepping more into my power and speaking from a place of truth and authority um and in, in circle you mean as in a when i run yes when i'm running a, a circle group we always sit in in circle in my shamanic teachings and we use a, a kind of tribal sitting in circle setting so there's no one person is any more important than the others right. even me i might be facilitating and guiding that group but it doesn't make me more important than any other person there mm-hmm. and you know I'm, i might be facilitating uh, and leading but i can get teachings from everyone else at, at the same time we all learn from each other um but you have a name to help i would have a name to do that and sometimes i'll just just say i'm taz Sometimes mm-hmm. when spirit come in and say use that name or use that one, so they what people can delineate. Almost, um, so I they guess. Know when they're speaking to Taz and know whether there's something. Well, they're, they're still speaking to Taz if I use a medicine name. Mm, right. Um, it's it's a way for me to step into power, I think, and sometimes I'll need that more than others. It's a bit like. Um, Sometimes you might go to the gym, have a really good workout, and you feel really powerful afterwards. But you don't always need to go to the gym to get that feeling, right, yeah. um, to try and put it into left-brain terms. So, yeah, we become obsessed with, with names, and I think that's why so many people see a guide, see them in a particular way, and will then ask for a name. Mm-hmm. And whether they actually give them a name or whether they're projecting that name, who knows? But it doesn't matter. Um I think if I if I look at all the guides I work with, and I've, there are quite a few now, I don't think I know the actual names of any of them. I've never asked because it never it's never felt important. Yeah, but you're a, you know who they are. Absolutely. 
connection with them for your heart connection heart connection right. and one of the the key things um i'll always teach people to journey to the lower world and meet a guide there first simply because most people find it easier mm-hmm. to go and meet an animal spirit guide first um i'm not sure why whether it's because they feel if it's an animal guide they don't have to worry about trying to apply proof to it i don't know which you shouldn't need to do um anyway um and then when you start to do work from there, when you start to build up a relationship with one guide, you can use that guide to check in with when you meet other guides. Okay. Right. So it's always, are, are you my guide on this? And check in. What, did you, what does your power animal say? Okay. Right, so it becomes a bit... Um, you're building a sense of trust with one guide first. Yes. And once you've got that... Yes. That gives you a, a barometer, if you like, for... Yes other guides that you meet absolutely um, it would suggest there is an element of um, uh, th- that well let me put it another way why would you need that sense of trust with other guides for okay why um, wouldn't you accept what is said so if someone comes let's use that shopping centre again somebody comes up to you in a shopping centre do you immediately trust them no there you go shrugs okay. And it's exactly the same in... Uh... Exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same. Um, the... So by, tr- by, by working with your power animal once you build up a trust, you're then able to... Under- to um, uh, uh, I'm ju- I guess I'm just reinforcing the point we made earlier, that you're then able to um, uh, g- gauge for yourself whether what they're telling you or teaching you or, te- or yes. asking you to do yes. is, uh, is something that... Is, yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, first there's a big. This is why it's always it's always a good idea to work with with someone if you can because you're building up that idea of what you, what feels right and what you can trust and what you can't trust until you've got that yeah. body of of guides around you yourself. And it's been, given that we started off this point with with different ways of work, working with spirits, I've just remembered a, another point that might be quite important. So one of the guides I work with now is a guide I used to work with. Um, to filter out spirit messages before I started training properly. So there was a point in my life... Like a secretary? Or... Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> like that. Like a doctor's receptionist. <laughs> <laughs> there was a point in my life before I'd started to train properly in shamanism, but when I was still quite psychically aware, where I, I almost had uh, I almost had a bit of a Sam Wheat from Ghost scenario. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I didn't quite have someone singing I'm Henry Henry VIII, I am all night but I did have someone a male voice who kept coming in and um, was just speaking his name, I assume it was his name over and over and over again and I couldn't, I didn't know how to work with him properly, I didn't know what he meant and he was getting more and more frustrated and the voice was sounding angrier and angrier and angrier until I went to see a medium and said what do I do? How can I do it? And she taught me about opening and closing the third eye. And then I bought a couple of books on mediumship and um, and, and practised that. And opening and closing the third eye can help a lot when you're first starting to develop psychic awareness. So if you imagine you're in the in the middle of your forehead where they talk about having the, 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 the third eye chakra there. Um, just literally um, in in meditation, imagining seeing that as an eye and practice opening and closing the lid. So you can open up or close down, open up and close down. And that helped a lot. And then eventually, 
I realised that one of the guides I'm working with now in shamanism was... Um, I don't quite know how to describe it, except that I had an awareness of somebody being there as a helper before mm -hmm. I learned to put the the visuals and the rest of the, the, the framework to it. And I remember speaking to it in meditation and saying, could you filter this for me? And that helped above all else. Helped above all else to just get that guide to step in front and whenever spirits were trying to just throw messages at me because there was some, you were someone who could help them yeah but i didn't know how yet yeah yeah so you literally had someone who uh, were able to for yeah. example this person who was telling you their name yeah they were able to speak through that person okay. and 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 he will either say okay i'll pass that on or he'll right. send them off to so Odomay so brown <laughs> so you weren't having to deal with yeah not just what whatever was going on in your life here but that the, the not being able to deal with what was going it on. It was keeping me awake at night. Yeah. It was constant. Okay, um. okay. That feels... Um, that that t takes a lot of trust. Yeah. Because there may... Perhaps initially there's some part, even now, there'll be some part that goes, well, well, hang on, why do I have to do that? Yeah. That's against everything that I think of, or, 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 or for example. So how do, how do you get to... How do you uh, get to sort of work, live with that, or work mm. with that when you feel what you know? Why do you take their word over yours, for example? Um, well, firstly, let me just make it absolutely clear that I'm not telling everyone that they should do exactly what spirit says. Um, but for me, I took a decision quite a long time ago to absolutely give my trust over to the the spirits that I work with and trust, mm -hmm. and I don't mean. You know, every passing dryad I see pop out of a tree. Yeah. Um, but certainly for those that I have a long-standing relationship over many years, and I believe probably many lifetimes, um, if they tell me to do something, I will usually do it. Doesn't mean that I can't say, "Hold on, why?" Right. Okay. And show me what will happen if I do this. Show me what will happen if I don't do this. So you still have, there's still an element of you choice. You can still there. check in. Yeah. There's there's, well, there's always, always choice. Always always choice. People get that's another area people get hooked up on is this. I don't have a choice. There's always a choice in all things. You might not like the options, but there's always a choice. My choice in this line of work is to work very closely with the with the guides I know and trust. And I know now that if they tell me to do something, it will be for, for the highest good and for my benefit. Right. Um, and it's taken a long time to get to that point. But I've been there for a while now. Um, they've never told me to do anything outlandish. Um, if they did, I would probably ask them why and right. see what I could get and see if I could get an idea. But I, but over and all, I like, I like to think that I'd, I'd trust them and know that there was something in that for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yes, yeah, just kind of, sort of sum sum up. Then we've um, there are power animals, and you you meet those in the lower world, and and I think you you were saying that that's a good one to start with. It is. Um, then there's the, the, there are become more aware through meditation of uh, the nature and the spirits around us in the middle mm -hmm. world, with the world in which in which we live, and. Through that, what, what, what uh, it's I guess there's a more of an appreciation of the world around us, I, I guess, and more yeah. 
a build up? What is it building up a relationship with? And and for, for I'm just trying to think about why you would, what why you would do that. It, well, it can be. In fact, there's a whole body of teachings around finding a physical power place where you can go and, and connect. One place that you keep for uh, to, to recharge, to connect with spirit for your, for your meditative work. And out in work, nature is wonderful for that. If we believe that everything has an energy and therefore everything is alive, for me it's important to have an awareness of that. And that's why it's important to have an awareness of the spirits that are around us all the time. Um, so I remember I've referred to Chris Lutterchow quite a lot I remember him talking when we were having quite a discussion when I was working with him about um, vegetarianism Mm -hmm. and I'm not I like my meat Um, a lot of shamanic people I know do eat meat Um, and I remember Chris kind of having a wry smile on his face and saying that if we believe that everything has an energy when we're biting into a carrot we're killing it too Um, (laughs) Um, yes, that's a good one. I'll remember that when I next time I, I have the, the pangs to want to become a vegetarian because I, I think it's wrong. Yeah. yeah, well, there's, and that, that, that's a, a different area again, but, but for me, um, what we, if we choose not to be vegetarian, and again, choice in all things, there is at least, for me, a responsibility for as, as much as possible to be aware of where the meat is coming from and how the animal is treated and not to just go out and buy everything cheap and free range. So there is, there is a responsibility there and a responsibility to understand that you are eating an, an animal and to not just want everything sanitised. Mm-hmm. It's so easy, isn't it, to pick up a pack of chops in the supermarket covered in cellophane and be able to divorce that from ever having come from a pig yeah and it's but there's a there is a i find i don't know if there is a um a, a journey to go through there because i remember that um uh, my, my father had a new someone who went down in cornwall mm-hmm. called colin mm-hmm. and he had a cow colin's cow yeah and um this cow was bred for for slaughter basically yeah. and we all met i met i remember meeting colin's cow yeah it was a lovely animal yeah and then the next time I met Colin's cow, it was on the plate. Still a lovely animal. It was, but, <laughs> but it was there was a there was a recognition that I suddenly thought I've met this piece of meat in a, in a live yeah. state before. It was yes. And so there is a journey there from, as you say, the sanitised, which we put. You know, it's almost a, it seems seems preferable to have the sanitised because you can mm. you don't have to deal with the emotional yeah. side of it. Yeah, um, I grew up with in. I grew up in the countryside, um, we knew farmers, um, I, I was once quite close to a to a group of hunters as well, um, so it wouldn't be the first time that I'd um, helped to dress something that had been killed for food. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that should be part of it. If you're going to eat an animal, you should be able to, should, there's that word again, it makes sense to be able to recognise that that was once an animal. And the litmus test for me is, I guess, if, if you're out stranded in, in nature and there is no other other source of food, would you be able to kill and catch and, and eat an animal? For me, yes, but there's also a responsibility to do that very respectfully mm-hmm. and to use all that you can. And if you don't want to, that's fine. Um but choice, it's choice in all things again. Um, 
I remember my my wife telling a delightful story of a, of her mum having a pet pet rabbit um, way back during wartime and coming back one day and wondering where the rabbit was and realizing she'd just eaten it. And <laughs> it's it, it's part of life, isn't it? And I think it comes back to that disposable society again. If if something is going to if you if you're going to take something's life to eat it the least you can do is do ceremony and give thanks and say thanks and and not waste it right. and use all of that um and again just have an awareness of what it is on your plate and it doesn't matter if if that's an animal if it's a carrot if it's a piece of broccoli or a, or a lettuce leaf have an awareness of where it's come from okay so, so if you've got something that uh, because your plate is um i suppose in my terms is it's, there's consciousness there within yeah. the whether it be vegetable or meat, and and I think from what you're saying is that there's the spirit there. Mm. Um, so therefore, you give thanks to it for mm. uh, for its. Well, I suppose that's where grace comes from in some ways. Yeah. You give thanks to God, but you're actually what we're saying is you. Uh, you say to do ceremony, mm. but what what does that look? What what happens then when you do ceremony? But normally, I think of a ceremony as quite a big thing and you've got robes on or something but, no. but what, what do you mean by doing ceremony? It's, it's a bit like meditation ceremony for me again can be just something that you wouldn't normally do so if I'm running a circle weekend and we put out a spread of food we'll we'll we'll, we'll join hands and we'll bless the food okay so it's like a grace then yeah right. like a grace then mm. uh, if you're working with spirit you can put out a spirit plate where you're offering the energy of of that food to spirit you wouldn't then eat it and if you're in tune enough you'll be able to to feel She's just waving her hands about in the air, feel over the energy of that food and see if it's gone because spirit has eaten the food. Um, I get into these discussions quite a lot from some of the medicine tools I, I create as well, which is, is, perhaps a, is perhaps another podcast. But when I'm creating medicine and ceremonial tools, they frequently come through to me in the dream and I have a strong desire to, strong drive to, to make them. Sometimes they do hold pieces of animal would i ever go and buy a newly a new piece of skin from an animal that has been killed for its skin absolutely not no but if um if someone gives me an old victorian fur coat for instance is it wrong to use that for me no um i see that as giving something back to the animal because i am awakening the spirit of that animal i'm giving thanks to the spirit of that animal and I'm giving it a purpose to teach people and to help them grow rather than just wearing a fashion accessory. Mm-hmm. And it's byproduct products as well. So if I teach people to make drums, we use rawhide, which of course has come from an animal. Um, would I use a skin from an animal that had been killed specifically for its skin? No, but the rawhide I use is usually a byproduct of the meat trade. Yeah. Which isn't going to stop if I just stop using um, skins on my drums and there's an argument shamanically that it shouldn't anyway for anyone who's interested um, which book is it go find Jamie Sam's um, animal medicine cards book and, and read up on antelope medicine some wonderful teachings in there so choice for all you don't need to eat meat you don't need to use animal products but if you choose to if you're going to have an absolute knowledge and awareness of where they've come from and be as responsible and respectful as you can. So that that helps us then. That all helps us then with to connect and take a responsibility for um, the middle world, if we like, mm. um, in uh, in a very real way. 
Absolutely. As opposed to, as you say, the, the um, um, you know, disconnected way. Yes, and it's the same with working so outside in nature. It becomes much more from the heart. It does become much more from the heart. It's the same as working in, in nature. There are even specific ways of walking according to what ground you're walking on. You know, if we're walking across grass, for instance, we frequently just think, oh, that's a nice lawn, and we scuff along it. And we don't stop to think that every time we place our feet, we are, if we believe that everything has an energy, every time we place our feet, if we're not careful, we're trampling over things, we're killing things, we're injuring things. So if we're walking across grass, there's a way of walking to lift your foot and put it down flat and then lift it. So you might bend the grass over rather than scuff it up or break it. Um, there's an awareness of, of, of the plants you're, you're working with and what they mean and what their spirits want. Um, we had an incident where we had, uh, obviously from, from birds dropping, dropping seeds, <laughs> to put a polite term, we, we ended up with, with a bit of tree growing up from the side of our driveway, which... It can't stay there long term because its roots will damage the house and the drive. Yeah. But we journeyed and connected to that spirit of that plant and asked what it needed and if it could be moved and, and what it was here to teach us. Have an awareness. And you, you see kids running around parks and breaking branches off trees and using them as swords and whacking the trees with them. They're living things. They treat them with respect. Yes, no, OK, that, that's, a, that's a really interesting for just from a... a from my point of view, from this, the weekend, mm. when um, I, I, I needed to do some pruning of their, their tree, and yeah. I wasn't really, I thought I ought to check in somehow, but yeah. I had no idea whether I was doing it correctly or not. So there's a way for me to do that. There is a way. Yeah. There is definitely a way. Um, uh, another point on um, with with nature, I remember uh, an old Cherokee medicine woman I once met telling a, telling a beautiful story of when she'd been a child growing up on a farm, raised by her grandparents for getting angry one day and picking up a rock and throwing it into the driveway and her grandmother coming out and asking what she'd just done and she'd thrown this rock and she said well you'd better find that rock and apologise to it and apologise to the earth where you've just struck it she'd thrown it onto a gravel driveway <laughs> and she said well I don't know which one it is and she said well you'd better pick up every stone and apologise just in case and she spent the afternoon picking up stones and apologising and gently placing them down and that must have been an amazing teaching for a kid. God, yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, I think we'll leave it there, Tess. That's been absolutely fantastic because we've had a good, good discussion about the lower world and power animals, the middle world here, um, and we did we did look at the uh, teachers in the in the, uh, mm. the higher world. So unless there's anything else you think you'd want to add to, to that, um, I think we'll leave it there. I don't think anything in particular is just about having an awareness and just being aware that every time we put our feet down, you're treading yeah. on something. So just have an awareness of that and walk in beauty as much as you can. Okay, that's well, a lovely way to end it. Um, and once more, um, if people want to know more about you, where do they go? Uh, there's a couple of choices. You can find me on most of the social media sites. You can find me on Facebook, on Twitter on LinkedIn. Uh, if you want to hear about the shamanic side of my work, you can go to www.firechild-shamanism.co.uk. If you want to find out more about the empowerment work, you can go to tazthornton.com. That's fantastic. Thank you very much indeed, Taz. Thank you, John. Well, that was the terrific Taz Thornton, who continues to fascinate. If you have any feedback or areas you'd like to hear covered in this series or the next, then please let me know via the comments. Thanks for listening. 
and we do hope that you'll join us in the next episode, which is working with elementals. But until then, be well. <laughs>